Fly Radio 76 proudly presents the 515 Radio 76 proudly presents the 515 show with your host John Sarver. Who's at the 515 door today? Boy, I'm telling you we're excited to have this gentleman on with us. Go kids, go kids, go. Um he is William Tharp of the NHRA. He is the Division Three director. I mean, he's uh, got the nice office. He's got the better window. He's got everything ready to go. Hi, William. How are you? Hey, how are we doing, John? Dandy. Uh, excited to have you on with us today uh, on so many different levels, and I'm sure it's probably pretty warm where you're at right now. Thinking? Outside's probably about forty some degrees of that, so Really? That's it? Yeah. You yeah, guys it's not too April. Yeah. You know, when we were talking at PRI, we I know that you said that you drive almost consistently. And I was yeah. just thinking maybe you would be in Florida by now. No, not yet. I haven't made it down there. I was gonna try to go down to the Gator Nationals, but with scheduling and just a lot of things going on, it was better to stay here and try to try to continue to prepare for the 2022 season for the uh, North Central Division as well as the NHRA. Yeah, well, considering that you would probably have had to have your uh, raincoat with you if you would have went down to Florida. Well, definitely I've got a Toyota to drive that's four-wheel <laughs> drive, so it wouldn't have been a problem either way. But, yeah, it, uh, it would look like it was quite an adventure for the, for the folks that were down there, and uh, we, we appreciate the support of everyone that was part of that adventure for those down there. Yeah, that's what we were hearing, too, and it was... It was, and we were hearing too, and it was, it was an amazing event. It's you know, even when Doug Garlitz goes anywhere, I realize he's down there. That's kind of his gig. That's his place. But still, you know, you would love to see Big Daddy just take that waltz one more time. But talking about which, hooray! Welcome NHRA back to the great state of Michigan. Well, thank you. It's uh, it's been a long journey for us to try to get things rekindled there. Uh, but we're working our way back in slowly. Um, we've had a lot of discussions offline about what the future is, but we can officially uh, put put things out where we're at with Milan Dragway now, and it's definitely official. Actually, the release dropped at about 3 o'clock today. Everything's signed, sealed, ready to go official on our end, so we are looking forward to a great 22 season at Milan Dragway. All right, so now let all of our friends know that around the world, and by the way, big stuff, <laughs> we're talking... <laughs> We were talking off offline here, and uh, with William, and like every country has ears today to listen to hear what Mister Tharp's got to say. And we were saying, you know what, man, you, you should probably get like a poster, kind of like one of those old Mark Spitz posters or something, because you're going yeah, to sign yeah. stuff at these conventions. Yeah, it's something like that. I mean, I, I sign a lot of different things, but uh, signing autographs is something I've not gotten good at <laughs> just yet. But I will certainly practice in the meantime. <laughs> Right, you know, now that you got everything signed in, in uh, for Milan, you know, and my God, how many years has it been since NHRA put their stake in the Great Lakes State? Uh, it's going on two years now. Uh, when when the the track kind of went into some uh, situations with uh, with what they had to deal with and kind of get sorted out, it yeah, you know, we pretty much pulled up stakes. And I was actively beating the drum on some other facilities and trying to get them in, in place because we've got such a huge following in you know in the Motor City in Detroit and Michigan in general from the north to the south side that we had to do something. And since I became the director back in 2018, that was one of my missions. Going, we have we have a very small footprint in Michigan. We need to start working. And then luckily things have started to happen. Yourself has been involved with and then electrical and they've started to happen yourself has been involved with been very integral in the uh the communication as well so you've got a part in it uh, with us being back up there well anything that we can do to, to help you guys along you know so now that you get the nhra track and you have Milan, what can people especially you know one of the, the problems that we have, not problems, but one of the things that we want to talk about today is that we have the uh, sportsman racers, and they look at the NHRA and the the stuff that people have been tugging on us when we've had, you know, a couple of ginger ales at the old corner, is that, you know, what does what can the NHRA do for us sportsman guys? We know they do the smoke and noise classes and everything up there, but how about us here? 
Well, it, it depends. I mean, you've got a lot of different options. You could take the wife's minivan, of all things, and go to Milan Dragway and participate in some of their events. They've got Test and Tunes, ET Bracket Racing Series, anything and everything pretty much is there. Even for the, the kids, we've got the Junior Drag Racing League brought to you by Summit Racing Equipment, as well as our Junior Street Program for teenagers that may not be in the Junior Dragster side of things. So pretty much literally you could take the wife's minivan or the SUV <laughs> and go to Milan Dragway and participate. I, I make no bones about it. I started in a 1979 Oldsmobile Regency back in uh, 1995. Don't laugh. That, that is how it starts for a lot of people. And so, But, but yeah. all joking aside, they offer a lot of different avenues to go. And that's the cool thing about NHRA. We've got a, 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 a trademark pretty much of speed for all. It doesn't matter. You could be the high-end no prep kings like you see on TV or yeah. your uh, top field dragster, funny car pro stock, any of that stuff you see, um, you can do that. And that's the, that's the beauty of drag racing. And you get to do it at some of the same venues where professionals do it as well. Tell, tell me where you can go play ball. Uh, can you go play a, a pickup game at Wrigley field or anything else like that? So there's so much to offer. I, I don't even think we could cram it into one show. You'd have to give me a couple of shows to kind of cover everything in depth, but Trust me when I say there's anything and everything for those folks that have a need for speed and want to get on the track. And it's safe manners. That's the important side of that. Yeah, it's amazing that everything that the um, NHRA, because, I mean, it really, what does it say on the side? You know, dedicated safety. There is a reason why. You know, sometimes right. we see some tracks that makes you hold your breath. <laughs> but, yes. Not here, you know, and, and that was another question that we had. And, and you have questions for William Tharp, please send them right over here to Hotline, our email address, hotline at ckiw76.com. We'll make sure we pass it along to William. You know, here's a question that, that was brought up too. It's to be an NHRA track, what do you have? Do you have to? To reach a certain milestone, do you have to have a certain amount of space? Do you have to have a certain amount of of uh, flora? Flora, <laughs> thank you. I mean, what does it have to be for you to qualify? For you to say, "Yep, you know what, Mister Drack Owner, I want you." I think we can do business here. Well, a lot of it goes to the infrastructure. Uh, you've got to have a facility first and foremost. Uh, of course, we prefer to have concrete barrier walls. We do have some tracks with the Armco guardrails, which we're happy to work with, um, but definitely need to have good safety measures in place, um, a good surface, and basically all of the infrastructure you would have in, you would need in place, uh, ample parking, uh, good timing system, a lot of the basic things across the board that you would think you need to have in place. You also need to be willing to know that once you come on board with being with the NHRA, that we're here to support you and we want to see you be successful. So, so be ready to be successful and have that mindset to provide a positive experience for customers. And then also be proud to represent the, the NHRA brand, uh, I guess, if you want to look at it from that standpoint. And have a part in you know, preserving a sport, a heritage uh, that has been you know, laid for a, a number of years by so many folks in so many different ways. But it's almost a, you've arrived, you've, you've been noticed, and we've reached out to you, or you've reached out to us, and we, we've kind of worked together. But there's a lot of steps. I mean, we could go into depth there, but the, the 50,000-foot view is just that a facility that's going to work well and represent what we're all about, which is dedicated to safety and, and trying to promote uh, drag racing in a positive light. Um, you know, NHRA was founded on safety, of course, you know, dedicated to safety, but it was also to get the street racing off the streets and into the safe areas to do so in a way to not hurt anybody and enjoy ourselves. So that's what we look for. Uh, Milan's got a great opportunity to help curtail a lot of the, the problems that I'm sure are going on up in that area with the illegal street racing. There's safe, viable places to go, family-friendly entertainment. That, you know that We look for all of that. So it's, it's not one particular thing. It's a a whole subset of, of categories and boxes that need to be checked, as someone would say, for us to, to work with, with our member tracks. I mean, did everybody in NHRA land put their hands up and go, hurrah, we're back in Michigan? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that was something that we had been working for for a while. And as I mentioned, there were some few things out of everyone's control that they had to play out. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, thankfully, there was a good resolve at the end of the day um, with – with the management of Milan now with, with Perry, Pam, Harold, everybody that I've worked with uh, thus far in trying to get the, the foundation laid, couldn't ask for a better group of people. And it, it's so refreshing to have folks that have a fresh mindset on things 
that aren't afraid to take on the challenge, but they also want to achieve success. And that is the one thing I can assure everybody with the new management of Milan Dragway, they will be successful. If we wouldn't be involved, we wouldn't be, be having these conversations if we didn't feel that it was going to be a great fit for everybody. So it's not just one of those things like, here's some decals, here's a name, here we'll put you on the website. It, it is not at all. I mean, you, you can attest there's, there was a time uh, this past Friday, was a couple of Fridays ago, I got an uh, email. It was about 7 o'clock at night. and said, hey, when you get time, give me a call next week. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the office. It's Friday night. I have no life. I drag race. I, this is all <laughs> I do. So I, I called up, and we were able to have a really good conversation. But that's what it's what's what it's about. We want tracks that aren't afraid to reach out when they need a help, uh, need help, or, or have a question with things, because that's only going to make everything better for everybody. It's not about me. It's not about everything else. It's about those track owners, those folks that are putting it on the line to have a facility for us to enjoy an HRA drag racing at. You know, William, what? If I'm a Mr. Track Owner, and I'm thinking, you know what, I'm building this brand new track, and I'm thinking about having um, the NHRA come with me, you know, what can you say, you know, hello, Mr. Track Owner, I'm glad that you're thinking about us at NHRA. This is what we can offer you, Mr. Track Owner. Well, it starts off with basically we see where we're at on our some of our member track networks, just like with the Milan situation. Um, definitely everybody at some point wants to see a Camping World Series level event come into the market. Uh, they want to see the big the big numbers of people. They want to see the 330 miles an hour, 1,000-foot passes, stuff that's burning nitro, just the wild, insane product that it is. To get to that level, it takes starting out where we're at right now. You lay the foundation. You have strong programs, strong weekly programs for a good core racer to help support the, the facility. And then as they've laid out with, with the current plans at Milan, they have a goal to get there at some point. Um, if the stars align, we have events that we need to, to hold, then we start working with those tracks as we see them to start start growing and what their long-term goals are. So. Depending on where it tracks at, as we start out, we start at the, the, the baseline with our, our basic programs, and we work from there. And we help grow and find the strong suits. If a track's really seeing a lot of growth, then we'll start some long-term discussions. Uh, so knowing where we want to get is part of, the, part of the process, but also knowing how we start to get to that, that end goal is, is part of the process as well. Uh, it's not something overnight that you just say, hey, next year we're going to do something at Milan. And that's not to speak ill on anything in that regards. But it, it's a lot of work and a lot of people and a lot of hands need to be involved to, to give it the blessing, but also the, the support of the folks of a facility. That's what it takes as well. So, it's, it's again, it's a collaborate, collaboration of a lot of folks, a lot of things falling into place. I mean, Bill, how does that go? I mean, take us a little bit behind the curtain. You say, you know what, we have XYZ track up there in Michigan and they're, you know, they want us to be an NHRA track. And, all right, so now we've talked to Mr. Track Owner, and he seems to be a pretty good guy. Now, how many people do you, William, have to go and talk to to make all this thing, get the rubber stamp and say, welcome aboard? Well, have you ever heard the line, we're starting to get to where we're kind of punching out of your weight class? You ever heard that line before? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what I can share with you on, on that is that we've got we've got a great management team that we work with. They're always looking and looking three to five years down the road on things. So as we start to get to that point to grow product, to grow a footprint in, in def, different, uh, different regions, we start paying attention to what's going on. Of course, being near metro cities always helps. Uh, good population of folks, good infrastructure to support that event. Um, I'll use the example of it. You can build a Taj Mahal of racetracks, but if there's nothing around to support it for hundreds of thousands of people or whatever the case may be, then you're kind of far removed from what you're doing. So you got to kind of keep that in mind. But as the, the wheels start turning, it just takes a lot of different folks to get involved. They will start looking at the viability on different things. Um, we run things up the, up the chain of command, as you would speak it. We've got a lot of folks that I answer to that we certainly say to them, hey, you know what, I think this is something to pursue. Um, you give that off to them. You pass along all the info you can. They work and, and run it through the through the test on their end and see if it starts checking the boxes. If it does, then we move the, pro- the progression to say, "Hey, this is what we're looking at. You know, can we get there?" And basically plan things out. So I, I think I joked with you at the PRI show. I already had twenty or twenty twenty two pretty well planned. I was already starting on twenty three and twenty four. <laughs> so you have to be that aggressive with it. Um, but to get a national event, uh, you know, full-blown Camping World Series event with a Lucas Oil Series, 
you know, you, you would stair step into that. You would back into the goal. And that goes back to the foundation of being successful on this end. And we don't bite off too much uh, more than we can chew, so to speak. But we would certainly look at all avenues to try to grow the product. And then is there, there an appetite for it? And that's the big thing, too. So, so many factors go into to putting lightning in the bottles, they would say. But it certainly goes through a lot of steps above where I'm at. But it, again, starts with where we are now. There are a lot of steps above where I'm at. Um, on, on March 29th, that we can put it out there, that everything's legit, ready to go, and uh, we'll see where the road takes us with Milan. Yeah, because the, the question that w- was brought to us beforehand was, this isn't a snap thing. This isn't where somebody calls you up, William, and says, hey, I want to be an NHRA track, and they go, okay, yeah, <laughs> here's some stickers, like you said before earlier today. This takes time, and that's why there was people were wondering, you know, on our side, it's like, why is it taking so long when this is a slam dunk? Well, obviously, there's layer after layer, and people, it just isn't opening the doors. And it's like you said, there's got to be all kinds of surveys done. There's got to be some numbers run. There's got to be, what do you think, and let's make this go. So for the folks that were kind of impatient for, for Milan and other tracks in Michigan to start up, this is the reason why. William just told you, look at all those layers to start up. This is the reason why. William just told you, look at all those layers that you got to go through. Like any good run corporation, if they just said, sure, everybody, let's hop in, yeah, it might be a little bit of different NHRA. Talking about a different NHRA, what does it take? And, and that's a question, too. And I do believe it's more, what, what does it take to get a major event at your track? Or track well, again, acts, I should it, say. It, it kind of goes back into that whole segment of things. That of there's a lot of different. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of different. There's a lot of different areas to go back into on that one. So yeah, it's a yeah, it's okay. a long process to get there. Yeah, because there there was folks wondering too about okay, is there a size limitation? You know, do you have to have? And we heard this, and again, it's you know from the friends who don't want to know and they want to ask you the question. I mean, do you need? For a major event, does your strip need to have a campground nearby? I mean, do you have to have a certain amount of um, space for your your track itself? I mean, those were the questions that folks wanted to know, and it's a legitimate question. I mean, because you look around at some of these tracks and you go, could you fit a national here? Yeah, we could. And then, <laughs> William, they all yeah. get happy feet and they go, okay, why aren't we having a major event right here? Yeah, I think the big thing comes into the, the, the footprint the event's going to have, and then we have basic numbers to kind of work with, but it also depends. Are, are we going for, you know, we're not going to take an event the size of the, you know, the U.S. Nationals and say, hey, we're going to take this event and take it somewhere else and try to, <laughs> to figure it out and duplicate that. We, we have a lofty goal of getting yeah. 1,000 entries in here for 2022 for the U.S. Nationals, and I think we're going to hit it this year, and at least I thought we were going to hit it, but it, you know, we'll see how things shake out. But going back to your original question, it needs to fit. We we plan an event around the content that we can bring in. We we of course have the Camping World Series events that come through with all of the the the, the how do I want to put it all of the entertainment factor, but it's more sure of a competition factor as well. Yeah. So again, it's going to go back to is there you know I mentioned is there enough hotels? Is there enough restaurants? Is there enough space to park? You know, fifty thousand vehicles. Do we have enough area to park all of the rigs that come in? You know, you look at the semis and the equipment and support equipment. Do we have enough area for that to be parked adequately? Um, so you would start looking at that as far as the, the number of acres that, it, that a, the facility has. Um, you take like a Summit Motorsports Park. That, that's like one of the pinnacle facilities in the country as far as the benchmarks to, to achieve. And you look at that infrastructure and what they have. So, yeah, absolutely. If, if you've got a campground near or across the street or on site, that's even better. It just There's a lot of factors, again, go into how we can utilize what's there to make it work. So if, if a track's got creativity, they've got land, they've got ambition, and they've got the, the, the funding to make it happen, absolutely, it's worth discussing. So just like becoming an NHRA track, we're going to have a lot of, lot of steps to go through. So to say that a, a venue's too small, I would never say it's too small, but we don't want to cram everything into where it's not a comfortable event. You know, you, you ever been to something where it's way too small, and it's not a good experience. Well, we don't want to deliver that, especially in a new market. We want to make sure that things are correct. They're built to, to scale on what we need and then have room for growth after that. I think it's fantastic. I mean, I really do. It's great to have, truly, an NHRA track back in there because you're right. It does feel like there's that little bit of a, 
you know, back to the Wally Park days and the whole nine yards. And even down, if you go back to the Detroit Dragway days when they were an NHRA track for how many years? One. You know, I'm not. I'm trying to think how many years they were they were NHRA, but it, there's yeah. just something when you look back at the old films and you see, you know, how the sport was and how the sport. And we kind of took it a little bit on the chin lately, but now, and we kind of took of those people. Everybody wants to come out this year, William. Do you, are you looking? Are you seeing that? I mean, the for the NHRA events going on, have you seen a lot more people in the stands? Yeah, I think the spectator draw is there. I think people are wanting to see the entertainment. I think after the world went through what it's went through in the last couple of years, yeah. folks are kind of over some of the stuff we might have considered not doing before. And now we're <laughs> saying, hey, you know what? We're going to take those opportunities to enjoy a, a great drag racing experience, whether it's at a Camping World event, a Lucas Oil Series, or a weekly test and tune at Milan. I mean, it, getting folks to the track is the goal. It, it's kind of like in sales. You know, I can I can get a customer to the door, but it's your job to sell sell them the product, service, whatever it may be. So I think there's a huge appetite for it. I think you see a lot of folks getting involved on, on every spectrum on the rainbow, so to speak, of motorsports in general, drag racing. There's not one particular area that I think is growing more than the other, but I think everything's growing. Um, again, it goes back to the world changed. And whatever you want to the world changed and whatever you want to uh however you want to say the reason that it changed i'm not going to go down that road just going to say things have changed so people are saying you know what i'm going to take those chances and those opportunities to do something or i have the means to do this now when i didn't before and the classes the cars the 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 biggest problem we're going to run into right now is a parts shortage or a backlog and getting getting parts for uh, for cars getting put together that that is going to be our biggest problem i think in 2022 um that's going to hamper even more the growth that i think would be there wow but yeah but look at that trajectory i mean hopefully gas prices go down hopefully everybody can come over from canada because man that's a lot of cars that are over there that comes over on, on this side on the, on the michigan yeah. side yeah, absolutely. The the folks north of the border in Canada and then other countries and folks in there, that's the interesting thing about drag racing. We have a lot of international folks of, of all events. And i got to tell you the quick story. I sure. have a, a Lucas Oil Series event down at uh, Beach Bend Raceway in uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky. And I'll actually have three to four, if not five or more, international competitors, whether they're coming across the, the pond from, from Sweden, whether it's Australia, whether it's uh, Canadian folks, whether it's folks coming up through Mexico. There's a lot of people that are involved in, in what we do in the NHRA. So to know those folks have the ability to get uh, to be more mobile than they had been in the past couple of years, that's going to be huge, especially the folks up north. And, and we welcome them coming back down. And, you know, we're certainly looking for growth up, up in that area. Um, our Division One. There's, there's seven different divisions, but Division One, which is on the East Coast up in the, the New York and the uh, north on the East Coast inside of the country, they have a lot of growth going on up there right now. There's a lot of opportunity. So... You know, we're we're going to see the the international flavor really. So, you know, we're we're going to see the the international flavor really start to open up. But with the borders opening up and things getting back to what our new normal will be, I definitely see that being a huge area that we'll see a see a, a, a lot of growth that we hadn't seen before. It's amazing that how many people we got listening from Sweden, Sweden and Norway, and Sweden mm-hmm. seems to be a hot spot for drag racing. All of a sudden, what the heck? Yep. Well, and I think a lot of that goes to, and, and this is something that it kind of ties into what we do, but, you know, it goes back to the dedicated to safety of getting the cars off the streets. How many of these other countries do you see that have active drag strips? So now they're ending up on the streets, which is a huge problem. Um, you know, folks that aren't into racing in general look at it as a huge, a bigger problem than we do. Hmm. Uh, but we don't need folks out there doing illegal stuff. And this comes right here stateside. But over there, for example, I think there's very few tracks that they can go do that at. So those folks are clamoring to have the, the content, as you want to call it, the modern day of, of how we refer to things. But they want that product, that content out there. And they're involved. They're engaged. I mean, you said you had over 25 uh, different countries listening. That proves that this is a universal sport. Um, and, and drag racing itself, in general, with NHRA is the pinnacle of that. So I, I appreciate everybody that's involved from, from overseas, from wherever you may be listening or involved in this stuff. I thank you, because without the NHRA, I wouldn't have what I have in my life, and I've, not to go off on a tangent there, but truly blessed with this opportunity to be with the NHRA. No, no tangent whatsoever. I was just thinking about all the times that you said, <laughs> how, how many hours you log in the Toyota? 
I mean, per week, William, how many hours are you in that little four-wheeler? Well, during the off-season, it's quite nice. I, I'm, I'm a native here in the Brownsburg area, so it's not much driving at that point. But once the season starts, I mean, we're out 20, 20 to 25 weeks out of the year. And, of course, with what we do with our division events and how we're involved, there's very little flying, if any at all, and it's all driving. Uh, you know, So we've got a, a span of you know road trips from 8 to 10 hours, whatever the case may be that we might have. But every now and then I'll do the Vegas trip, and that's, that's a you know, day, day and a half drive. But it's part of what we do. It's part of seeing the country and enjoying what we do. I mean, is there one drive that you just love to take? It's like, oh, i got to go there? Great. Well, honestly, it was back when I got my start with NHRA in uh, 2018. I was in Atlanta, dra- down at Atlanta Dragway. I, uh, I'm originally from Ohio, which I don't know if I should mention that on the Michigan <laughs> radio show. I, I claim I claim neither. Um, so I'm, it's like, can't we all just get along? Call me and let it go. Uh, but but anyway, going back to the drive, I, uh, yeah. I I moved from Ohio down to Commerce, Georgia. I actually lived in Athens, but I used to have to make that drive once a month, going from uh, from Ohio down to Atlanta, just to visit and, and clean up some loose ends and, and have family uh, commitments up up in that area. But I used to love my drive down to Atlanta. I, I miss that one. But there isn't one drive to any of the tracks that we visit on a yearly basis that I don't uh, not enjoy. Whether it's going to Bowling Green, Kentucky, mm-hmm. up to Summit Motorsports Park. Uh, I've been up by Milan a couple times, and I just enjoy every bit of that. And then it goes back to the honor to being able to represent the NHRA. Um, and, of course, in that fine-looking Toyota that I drive, and I, <laughs> I appreciate Toyota's involvement with the NHRA. <laughs> The yeah. official car of the NHRA, I might add. But all joking aside, dude, there's not a bit of it that I don't enjoy. So, you know, I'm a road warrior, if they want to call it that. You even like driving downtown Atlanta? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's entertaining. I mean, come on. <laughs> I, when you go through it at 3 a.m. in the morning, it's not a problem. But yeah. the funny thing was, the funny thing is there was a neat back road that I would take, or back way that I would go up through the Smoky Mountains and stuff like that. So it was a, it was a neat drive going through there. But there's not a, a drive that I have not taken in with my eyes. Neat drive going through there. But there's not a, a drive that I have not taken in with my eyes that I have not enjoyed. Um, even back in 2016, I had a, a local competitor that was qualified to go to Pomona, California. So I grabbed a truck and trailer and literally drove his operation, his car and all his stuff he needed to race in Pomona, California, as I was a track operator at the time, uh, to make sure he was able to get to the event and race for us at the, the Summit ET World Finals at Pomona, California. So I've, I've been there, done that, been to all four corners of the country, and would gladly go back again. I was going to say, because we have a, a listener wrote in, is there any track that William has not been into, NHRA track? Oh, there's a ton of them still. I've not gotten to them all. But I've got a, a, a pegboard. I'd have to probably count up on, on how many tracks I've been to. But um, before I was full-time with NHRA, I used to travel. How many tracks I've been to. But um, before I was full-time with NHRA, I used to travel uh, with a cargo company. Cargo, the company that I won't mention, but it has three letters and has yellow and red in it. <laughs> and it's on the side of the... <laughs> uh, um, William, you do well by slipping tra- things I in. I tra- do what now? You do well by slipping things in. <laughs> yeah, but I used to—I I was really, really fortunate to travel over the world, uh, literally, and I would go worldwide. Um, but whenever I would go somewhere, I would be on my phone, and this is before—or I wouldn't say my phone, but I'd be at a computer, and I'd be trying to figure out if there's a track nearby. And if there was, I was going to be there over the weekend because I didn't have to go back to work till Monday night. Wow. So I have hit a lot of different tracks. I've been to—I um, mean, there's some some scary, sketchy tracks that. You shouldn't go to that I've been there. Um, now that I'm with an HRA, I value any track that I can get to. I love going to a track that is a, uh, a, a pinnacle track that's always talked about in any respective division. And then I also like going to the uh, the tracks that aren't in HRA yet and then getting some in- involvement and feedback from them. And who knows sparking that conversation and complimenting them uh, on facilities from them. And who knows sparking that conversation and complimenting them uh, on facilities. And I've done that up in the Michigan area. I won't make no bones about it that there's a couple of facilities in, in Michigan that we would love to be a part of our, our NHRA member track network of things. And hopefully we can get things to line out at some point, but I don't want to make that jump to those tracks till they're ready. But going back to the original, uh, original um, question on the tracks that I haven't been to, there's a lot more that I haven't been to, but there's quite a few I have hit so far. And um, you know, every one of them has got a special place for me. I used to actually try to race and I, I used the word try 
to race back in the day. Try. Luckily that luckily that didn't work out. This side of things has worked out for me and again very fortunate to have been at the tracks and work with the folks that I've worked with too. You know, I, I was gonna say, William, of all the tracks that you've been to, all the places you've been to, what it, what makes a, a track sketchy to you? I mean, when you there's tracks that aren't safe. There's tracks that they don't pay attention to the safety of their mm. customers. Um, okay, and those are ones that you want to engage with and say, "Man, have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about that?" Because you know there were some situations that have happened here recently, and some tracks that were were not under um, our side of things. And it's fortunate, it, or it's unfortunate, I should say, that anything negative happens in a track, whether it's on track, off track, whether it's litigation, whether it's any of that. Um, so I guess I use that sketchy term just saying that you maybe don't feel 100% comfortable there, but also realize some of these tracks are doing the best they can. So that's not to say they can't improve or won't improve, but there's also the real-world situation they're faced with. Um, but but that also comes back to the customers to being understanding. And then there's other tracks that are just blatant about not caring, and then those are the ones that I would say would fall into a sketchy side of things. And, and we want to work with them. We want everyone to be safe because at the end of the day, as long as you're on the track being safe about it, that's what it's all about. When you're not, that's a problem. Um, and, and I think that goes with this world that we're living in these days. You know, you want to feel safe. If it's a place, I've, I've got a, I've got an, a son back home in Ohio, and it, I would always put myself in this, the shoes of a customer at a facility or an event and make it something where I would take him if I knew nothing, but I wanted to be entertained with seeing cars race, that it's a safe place, that it's a good experience for them. So, it, again, it goes back to not dispel any rumors against tracks that are that are not where they want to be or where they can be. But that, that's what I challenge folks, and it's like we almost should should ask better of folks in those situations and be part of that. So that, that's where I kind of call the sketchy tracks. And I think in some of our conversations, you know, I'm pretty much I don't want to say a jokester, but I'm pretty lively with a few of my comments on things. And knowing that there's ways to make this sport better, to make it safer, to make it more enjoyable, that's what it's all about. Yeah, I think anybody that's been in, in drag racing as long as, as most of our listeners have, we have, you have gone to one track where you go, okay, yeah, it, it's uh, like something out of Sleepy Hollow, but that's okay. Then you really appreciate more uh, the hometown tracks. And, and the bad thing is that, have we, William, equalized yet? Because, man, there was a couple of years that tracks were saying bye-bye quickly. You know, I mean, they're, they're, they become either Amazon somethings or this or that, the other thing. Have we kind of mellowed to that point now? I mean, do we do we, we have tracks growing? I mean, being built? Yeah, there's tracks. There's act tracks that are getting built that I'm aware of, uh, you know, especially down south where there's a market and demand for it. To say that we're losing and we're gaining and all that, I honestly don't have the, the good information. Of course, you hear rumor after rumor after yeah. rumor on things. Until we get those phone calls from track operators or track owners that they're going another direction, something's happening. I think we're we're in decent shape right now. Of course, as you know, some of the some of the situations. Uh, I don't know if anyone's heard about like the, the situation in Houston. They're they're foregoing the the tearing it down. They're going to keep it open for another year. Um, I think as the world kind of starts to change and settles into what its new norm is, I think we're going to see more growth. Uh, there's a lot of interest on tracks getting built may not be the big Taj Mahal quarter-mile facilities, but, man, there's a lot of neat little eight-mile tracks that are sprouting up, and that's good. That's where being an HRA member track comes into play. We're we're here to help those small tracks get up underneath their feet and support them, give them programs, opportunities to do it correctly, the right way, build a huge demand and customer base that will help sustain their business and their goals. The, The number of tracks that fall off, you can't speak to because you know some people thought Milan was gone and then sure. we were blessed with the opportunity we've got with with perry and harold and, and the whole family up there that's taking on the task of what they're doing so there's a lot more of those stories that happen um so to, to sit there and put a number on it and say we're losing i can't say that to say that we're gaining can't say that but i know we're holding our own we're not giving up let's say that much you know what i like i like hearing the good fight because there's a lot of track owners for some god reason there'll be a track that's been there for 80 years obviously stretching that one and then all of a sudden here comes a new subdivision and they go gee it's noisy over there yep. <laughs> yeah i honestly i battled the same thing the track operated in ohio i was with them ever since i was 16 years old and then um things changed 
um, back in 2017 and 18 and it wasn't there any longer, but I had to deal with that. And that, that's where you challenge the, your customers to help you, you know, engage with your neighbor. That's where you challenge the, your customers to help you, you know, engage with your neighborhoods. If they say, Hey, can you guys knock it off by midnight or 11 o'clock? Hey, that may not be what you want to do, but real world now we need to start working with our neighbors. We need to all get along. I know that's a really cheesy line from back in my day, mm. but that's what it comes down to. But the same thing goes back to being a great customer at these facilities. And that's part of being an NHRA member track. The, the customer needs to realize you might be the customer and you might expect X, Y, and Z, but the same respect that hopefully you're given as being a customer is being shown to that management at that track, that owner, that track worker, that gate attendant, that, that individual at the concession stand, whatever the case may be. So we all play a part in this. If you're rolling having a bad day at a racetrack, you probably have to just turn around and go home. I, I, I'm going to be very blunt and say that <laughs> because you come to these places. You come to these places to have a good time yeah. and enjoy yourself and enjoy a culture and be around people that are of the same thinking generally of you and enjoy motorsports overall. And th- that right there, the noisy neighbor thing. Okay, make sure you, you take care of what's going on. Uh, if you've got some houses getting built on the road leading into the track. Go introduce yourself to them. Go, go engage with them. Say, hey, you know what? You're on the road. You're going to have a bunch of noisy stuff going on. Here's some season passes, or here's some passes to come see what we're doing. Nice. Introduce yourselves. That that engagement, you never, you can never go wrong. And I've used that concept myself back in the day of track operations. You know, you go knock on doors, roll up in the company vehicle, or whatever the case may be, or just stop by. Generally, engage and be a part of your community and engage in that too. And that goes to the same thing with with the customers going to a facility. Let the local businesses know that you appreciate them being there. And that that's the stuff that will put a good footprint out and the good stewardship of what we're about. You know, it, it's it's all about reciprocating the same thing that you would want to want to see done on a customer base. You you need to have the same thing going on with the tracks, you know? Absolutely. You know, and also more stuff. God, you're a popular guy, William Barb. Absolutely, positively. Division Three Director. Questions coming in on the CKWI Radio 76 hotline. What is the difference between a Lucas Oil and a Camper World race? Interesting question. Yeah. The, the Camping World Series? Well, the, the Camping World Series is your professional categories. Of course, your, your top fuel, uh, funny car, pro stock, pro stock motorcycle. Those are our professional categories, and of course, you've got the Pro Mod Series that runs in conjunction, uh, Constant Aviation uh, Factory Stock Showdown that also runs on the Camping World Series. So the Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series, and there was a, a big debate about how it's it's turned, but it's our sportsman-level racing, and there's some professional sportsman racers out there. That's where you will see like your top alcohol dragsters, uh, top alcohol funny cars, um, depending on whether you're at the divisional level for us, we have the uh, Oakley Motorsports top dragster and top sportsman categories. So you'll start to see your, your categories kind of step down and in different levels of, of competition. They're still competitive, don't get me wrong, but that's where your index categories, like your stock, um, super comp, super gas stuff you might have heard of in Super Street. Then you've got your tried and true super stock and old school stock categories as well. So those are your Lucas Oil Series events. Um, we do standalone regional events, as we call them, regional or divisional, that'll run all those. Uh, do standalone regional events, as we call them, regional or divisional, that'll run all those uh, categories that I just mentioned. And then they'll also run a Lucas Oil Series national event uh, that runs with the Camping World Series events, and they all run together. Um, we have a huge schedule, uh, a huge class lineup that we kind of work with and rotate certain certain categories through on a yearly basis. Um, the Lucas Oil categories kind of rotate through as far as what's going to run at certain events throughout the years. Uh, but the, the big thing is you've got the folks that you see on, like, the Fox Sports 1, um, all the big telecasts that are out there on the professional side. Then you've got the folks that are uh, they're happy where they're at with that or they're aspiring to be on the professional level one day. So it's kind of like the feeder system um, of the Lucas Oil Series. Right. But it's definitely not that. You've got everything from your 16-year-old all the way up to your 88-year-old that's competitive in the Lucas Oil Series and can can uh, can line up some wind lights when needed. You know, an interesting question is, what is, and this is kind of true too, but this is kind of a, if you could solve this question, <laughs> millions would come to your door. What is the NHRA doing to entice the, the younger set to come up? Because a lot of the demographics that we see at drag racing, whether it be racers or it be folks who will sit in the stands, are basically like 45 plus. 
you know so what would does NHRA have any plans to bring in you know the to equalize that I guess we can call it well, we've got a couple of different things uh, in conjunction with the with the uh, the Camping World Series events. We have the Yes program, and basically, it consists of a, a youth and education services program where it exposes the world of NHRA championship drag racing and motorsports in general uh, to different different uh, career paths uh, with Western technology and a couple other partners that we've got currently working with the program. And then we also have what we call our NHRA Launch Program which is a place to where someone could actually start their career in drag racing, be involved, be engaged. Uh, th- this product and program, if you want to call it that, is more geared to get them involved from the backside of the racing, to be involved with the teams, to be involved with the sport itself that way. But on the flip side, we've got all of our youth programs, uh, the Junior Drag Racing League, Junior Street, and then once you are 16, you can actually legitimately compete in some of the categories in our Lucas Oil Series. So there is categories in which folks can run in and compete in so we've got it covered from age five all the way up to as as old as you want to be so depending on whether you want to be a participant whether you want to get involved in working and having a career path with the nhra or in drag racing in general we've got a lot of different directions to go with that you know david over here one of one of our fine fine interns raised his hand and made the mouth of what is junior street well it's something they came up with a handful of years ago and basically, it's um, for full-size vehicles on an eighth mile, and it has to be bone stock. It can't be, hey, I'm getting in Dad's uh, Dad's '69 Camaro. There's a stock limited <laughs> car that it's a full brunt, full-blown 125 Wally's already. Got. It's a full brunt, full-blown 125 Wally's already got. Now this is built for like Mom's Toyota Camry, um, Dad's Tundra truck, Dad's Tundra truck, or whatever the case may be. Okay, um, but but basically. It's on the eighth mile, and the parents or um, uh, co-pilot, as you want to call it, ride along with them and actually go down the track. And they'll race on the eighth mile. They have a limit of nine seconds in the eighth mile. And this this category is really neat because there's some folks that get very intimidated by the Junior Drag Racing League program. Yeah. The, the investment that's needed over there, you can invest the, the lowest end of things or the highest end. It's wherever you want to fall on that spectrum. But Junior Street's a good place to go for someone that's not 100% sure, you don't want to invest a lot of uh, resources into getting on the track, but you've got a teenager, they're kind of curious about what's going on, well, it, it's something that's starting to really take hold. It's really taking hold down in the, uh, the Division Two, which would be down south, as far as different tracks are running a, a lot of active programs. We're starting to see some growth here in the North Central Division with it, but basically it's a chance for, for a mom and dad to be involved with the son or daughter, and whatever the configuration is, they'll actually go to the local track, make some passes, get the paperwork completed uh, there'll be other forms and waivers that need to be completed with them being a minor but uh, we have a, a website nhraracer.com where you can actually click on to find the paperwork um, of course any of our nhra websites will link you to the junior street information that's out there but th- there's a lot of different ways to get involved in our sport as i mentioned in the beginning of this it's like hey if you've got a minivan and you got a full tank of gas with a driver's license to get to the track we can figure out something to get you or your family down the track that's, that's pretty much the easiest way of putting it. Do not be intimidated if you're listening out there that you think NHRA and you, you see, you know, the top fuelers and the funny car guys and stuff like that. That's a that's like pro level. That's okay. You, young kids, I mean, even young John started with a uh, 77 Sunbird that I hope, God, parents aren't listening, but we took the waltz down the quarter mile. You know, you don't have to have some crazy kind of car to start drag racing and it's okay don't think about just like william said if you got a minivan that's okay they'll index you you know and and we've talked about how bracket racing works you know you could be up against some crazy camaro and they'll let you go first they understand that you might not be as fast as that guy so they try to equal it out it's a blast once you go down your first hit it is an amazing thing and William, what it, do you have to go ahead? I'm sorry. No, I was going to say my very my first foray into racing was I got my first speeding ticket, and the very <laughs> next weekend, my I will tell that story. It, it, yeah, I got got my first speeding ticket. Within a week, I was at the local track, and and I was always hooked. Anyways, I came from a racing background with my, with my father back in the day. But yeah. you know, all it takes is the one speeding ticket to to get the kids' attention, and next thing you know, you get them at the track in a safe place of doing that, and. 
that's what I tell folks. It doesn't matter. Just go run the test and tunes. Just go experience it. Go be a part of it. There, there's so many areas to hit. And then the one area we haven't even touched on is our EV program. That's and, the new up-and-coming side of things. So if you're not really mechanically inclined, that is okay. There's the EV programs that we're starting to launch as well. So, again, it doesn't matter. It could be the minivan. It could be the Tesla. It could be – we've even got electric junior dragsters, believe it or not. So if Dad's scared to tune a junior – no problem. If you can plug it into the battery charger, good luck. You, you, you're going to have some fun with it. So. See, that's that was going to be coming up next because we have the Tesla Club of America that was going to knock on your door, and they were asking us to ask you. Okay, so now NHRA just came out with their own E-Class, whatever it would be called. You know, Now, how does that work for the folks who don't terrifically understand what that all that entails, who can race in it, who you race against, I mean, don't go through all the rules, that thick book. But, I mean, okay, I have a Tesla, and I want to go drag racing in E-Class. William, what do I have to do? Well, big thing is you got to go to your local track that's running the EV programs, and all of our, our classes have the opportunity to run those EV-only categories. Um, find where they're doing a lot of that at, whatever the case may be. I know Mylan's looking at some options of getting an EV program going. Wow. Um, I'll use World I'll use Worldwide Technology Raceway as one um, down in St. Louis. They've got a huge EV program where they have actual EV nights where it's all electric cars the entire night. Now, if you're trying to plug a battery charger in anywhere, good luck. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> but, Not yet. But basically, yeah. basically, you need to have a car, uh, depending on what your ETM speed requirements is going to be and where you're planning on going with things, you're able to go participate in these programs. You can go test and tune. You can run brackets. You can do pretty much anything with it. Um, sure, we'd love to have some of these higher-end um, supercars that are that are going to be quicker than what the ET and speed ranges are right now, but we've got a good entry-level program um, for them to be involved, and it's going to be on a bracket style. We're actually going to crown the first-ever EV World Champion later on this year out in Las Vegas. Really? So, yes. Damn. So it has been, it, it has been added to our, our Summit ET Series World Championship, and we've kind of been uh, still kind of hashing out some of the plans on it, but I can say... Someone's got a very good chance, kind of hashing out some of the plans on it, but I can say someone's got a very good chance of being the first, very first ever EV world champion coming up here in 2022. So, you know, if you're into the EV market, if you're into that stuff, there's going to be an opportunity to kind of be the first ever, you know, the first big daddy of the EV, however you want to look at it. So, Yeah, and, and by the way, for our other listeners, don't worry. The NHRA isn't – one thing that we heard – at Mulligan's the other night, the NHRA is not going to go 100% EV. It's only a class. You know, everybody Correct. will still be racing. Ice engines will be here way after we're all gone. You know, it, it won't say they're going to be here forever, but I will say that we need to embrace what EV is. And I think true. there's a huge growth for that. And there's a lot of questions that aren't answered. And we're working to try to get the solid answers for everybody. But we also want to give you good, safe answers in the same process as we move along with it. You no, know, we're never going to, we won't be able to burn nitro forever. I mean, but hopefully I'm long gone before that becomes a problem. <laughs> problem and i mean that in a positive way but but certainly and it goes yeah. back to that speed for all you want anything and everything within reason of course to be welcome at your local tracks right so working to establish a safe program for the evs of course making sure you're following the basic safety rules with it um you can take a tesla plaid that it will run sub 10 seconds and with the proper license could literally show up at the track and get your license and actually go out and run, run sub-10-second passes with our, our new new rules changes for 2022 that we've got going on. So the EV program is huge. The the the, in, the endless opportunities are there. Uh, we're trying to develop them correctly as we move along because this is kind of history in the making. And those yeah. folks that are, that are helping on the technical side of this, they have done an extraordinary job navigating what we have to work through um, to keep people safe first and foremost, but keep our tracks safe. And keep spectators safe. So there's a lot of things we're, we're working with, and the manufacturers are definitely showing a lot of interest. Who knows where this EV program will lead, but we certainly want to be, be there as it starts to help make sure we go in the right direction with it. Works for us. I mean, for a man who gets up earlier than 5 a.m. every day, you sound spry today, William. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, saw me that, you saw me that messenger. I'm like, should I? And I was already up when you hit the chat messenger this morning. And I think it threw you off, and you're like, what is he doing? <laughs> I, I mean, 
this, this is a way of life. And again, I've stressed it before, but my office is here at uh, Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park in, in Brownsburg, Indiana, Claremont, however you want to look at it. I get to come to work when I'm at the office where history is happening and have the opportunity to walk in the same building that is the main main hub for what we do in this industry. Um, you know, we still have our corporate headquarters out in San Dimas, but I mean, if you're not excited to get up every morning to do this kind of stuff, then you don't need to be doing it. That's, that's what I tell a lot of people. So me being up at 5 a.m. in the morning, I'll wake up at three or four. Um, sometimes I'll come into the office and work on stuff for a while because it's quiet and you can really get in the moment of, of working on a project or a solution or planning or whatever the case may be. There's never a dull moment. I've got stuff I'll be working on tonight uh, once I get wrapped up with a few things. But that's the dedication and love that, that I've got for it that's shown by so many other people with what we do. And I guarantee that same passion and desire shown by, by any and all of the NHRA member tracks out there. And I think a lot of folks forget that, that you know we could go do a lot of other things with our time and our lives and everything else. But the fact that we're this blessed to do this, I'm this lucky to be here at this track and, and have my office here and have an office from where I came from in this sport, man, I'd be up 5 o'clock every day like I am regardless. <laughs> I mean, I we... and, and the, go ahead. And, and the funny, the, I was going to say the funny thing about it for me is, you know, I worked at a track where we didn't have much to work with um, at the time when I was first working there and was had the opportunity to, to rebuild a track and be involved in that coming from working on a literally on a folding table in an office trailer with no indoor plumbing and no heat wow. to where I'm at now. I mean, again, it's one of those, those miracle stories you hear about. So if someone's listening in another country, another area, another region, you don't ever give up. You keep grinding and you sh- keep shooting for that goal because you'll get there at some point and you won't even realize it because you've been working so hard. But that's what this is about. To me, that's what NHRA it was founded on. Um, there, there's a picture of Wally Parks outside my office door. And every, every morning when I walk in, I get to see that picture of Wally. And, and I think about what he set out to do years ago and how it's my responsibility to do this job effectively, but to also represent Wally and the NHRA and everyone that supports what we do. You know, I owe it to everyone else that takes takes the time to support what we do. I wouldn't have anything with, without their support. So, What time do you knock off? Depends. I mean, <laughs> during the yeah. During, during the during the off season, for me, it can yeah. range anywhere from you know ten thirty, eleven thirty at night. Get some emails done or a couple of things I'm working on. Um, usually back up by four thirty, five o'clock. That's off season. Then during the season, just depends on what the adventure we've got going on and how the schedule flows. I mean, they're twelve to fifteen hours, sometimes eighteen hour days, three and four days in a row. And then you know you you figure out whether it's it's logistically possible to get home in one piece. And you say, well, I'm gonna probably knock off and get some rest of the hotel and. I'll make the drive in the morning, but it, it, the hours vary. And there's so many unsung heroes that that's their lifestyle. That's what they do. And for me, it just it depends. I'm, I'm completely ate up with this stuff, as some would say. Um, and I totally respect those that have a family and a life outside of this. As I mentioned, I'm this is what I do. And I've made that choice to be here. Uh, a lot of folks have done the same thing. But there's other folks that have their families and commitments that they have responsibility to as well. So they're not as fortunate to put the time into this. And sometimes work circles around me because they want to get home to see uh, the son or daughter's baseball game or soccer game or, or ballet, whatever the case may be. So kind of an aggressive schedule. Maybe one day it'll tone down, but in, until I feel like we're at that level of success that I know we're capable of, I'm not going to take my foot off the gas. I mean, what do you do in February and uh, like November? Do you get any chance to sleep? That's overrated. That's what I look at. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the big the big thing is trying to trying to get like yeah. uh, things ready for our PRI show. Uh, oh yeah, getting our bank getting banquets back in place for for our champions, which have just been a a monumental task. This last year, we thought we had things lined out, then the things changed again, and mm. we're we're in scramble mode. So uh, November's a lot of planning, a lot of wrapping up. There's a lot of things that need to get done before the year end. We've got championships to settle because. Um, they continue to race all the way out in Las Vegas on the Lucas Oil side of things. So championships are still up and up for grabs. So we've got a ton of ton of things to do. You figure in, in the ten major categories we have, we've got top ten um, top ten awards to give out, whether it's from vanity numbers to prize money to different things. So we have to figure that out, and then we have schedules that need to be done and start planning events. So as I mentioned, twenty twenty three is already on the site on the, in the sites of what we're doing. So that's what November is. 
December, you kind of rest a little bit, but I use that as a, a chance to get caught up on a few more things and get ahead and then hit the ground running in January and you don't stop. It's it's a year-round process. The, the off-season's great, but it's also a pain because you try to get everything done and you have to make a plan and go through with it, then adapt and overcome. So, Wow. Are you going to be a PRI again this year? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> We're it's a good t- it's a good time, and, and that that's the cool thing about it. You get to see so many people in the sport, but it's also an opportunity to engage with customers. And it, it's it's something I learned years ago. They're not competitors. They're not fans. They're customers, and that's what I think on a whole for any track. If they can refer to their folks, whether they're their customers coming through the gate, whether they have a rig and they're they've got a car inside that rig, or they're they're riding through in the minivan with the family looking for an experience, a good experience at your track. It's all about customer customer service and customer based entertainment, and I learned learned that from a, a lot of folks in this business that have been very influential. Um, you know, some folks will go over the top with the customer moniker, but that's what they all are. And if we treat them like customers and respect them, everything else kind of starts falling into place. It's when we take folks for granted, and that's just with anything that we do in general. Whew. Wow. All right. <laughs> It, it, it's phenomenal. Are you going to be? Are, are people going to come up and see you today? I mean, not today, but I mean this year. You're going to be up in Milan. Um, I'm hoping to. I'm hoping the schedule lines out. I know I've got a couple of trips planned up to the area. I know that it's going to be tough to get up there, but I need to, to make make time for that um, because what what Perry and Harold and Pam and all of the crew there at Milan have been doing it's a monumental task. What yeah. they're taking on, what they've already done. The biggest thing that that we can do is support them in everything they're trying to do up there, because the support, the positive reinforcement, um, things may not go perfect, but don't be so judgmental on it. Put yourself in their shoes on what they've taken on. So the fact that they they've seen seen a, uh, a roadmap for success and are willing to take those chances and those opportunities, I can't wait to, to get up there. I'm hoping that the weather cooperates; they can get open, things start start moving along the way they want them to be. And then I'm here to support them in any way I can to make sure that is a successful venture for them up there and that they're a NHRA member track for as long as they want to be, which is hopefully a long time, and that we hear nothing but great success and can, can look back at times like this and say, man, we knew something good was going to happen, but we didn't realize it was going to be this great. See, and that's what it is. Can people get a hold of you? you got to email. If somebody in uh, Budapest wants to email you, you got to email out there? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, WTharp at NHRA.com. Um, the best way to get a hold of us is to actually uh, go to our, our website, NHRAdivision3.com, uh, or social media. We've got all of our, our phone numbers, emails, everything's listed there. Social media, we've got all of our, our phone numbers, emails, everything's listed there. Um, I'll, I'll be brave and say that sometimes even that office line will ring direct to me, and you may even get me on the other end of that phone. Really? So. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the funnest thing, and i got to tell you the story, is, is sure. I've been in here late night working, and someone will call in thinking they're going to leave a voicemail, and I'll answer the phone. And they're, they're totally thrown back. But, you know, if I'm here and someone's calling, that means they need something. They're not just calling asking for, hey, what are you doing this weekend? It's, hey, i got a, a problem with this, a problem with that. Realize we've got customers out in California. We've got customers up uh, across the world. I've had international calls before where folks have been just trying to speak to somebody on something, and they you know, things didn't line out, whether they weren't there, didn't have the right number. And they think, you know what, I'm going to call Indiana. That's where that's where uh, Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park is. That's where the U.S. Nationals is. I'm going to leave them a message. Well, then you get to speak to them and speak to somebody. And it, it's to me, that's a, a great opportunity because that creates a story. That creates a positive experience with that customer. That creates that, that need of, hey, you know what, that was cool. Or that's something like, hey, um, you know, thank, thanks for being available. Yeah, basically number-wise, any of those numbers you'll see, even in National Dragster, even in the rule book, our, our main line is listed, my email is listed. Uh, call, uh, shoot us a message. I'll, I'll follow up. It may not be right away, especially during event time, but I always do the best I can to follow up with any of those questions that are out there because, again, it goes back to those customers. It's just like someone knocking on your front door wanting to buy a product, sell a product. <clears throat> We've got a service to provide and it goes back to what Wally's, you know, dedicated to safety. And who knows, that one call that, that we might answer might be the one that changes, uh, changes the perspective for somebody out there, saves a life. Yeah, you know, here's, here's kind of a tip, folks. If you want to catch up with William Tharp, all you have to do is go by anywhere near an NHRA track and, and find a Toyota at a McDonald's. You know, chances Ooh, are good. Whoa, 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 whoa. 
I cannot tell you the last time you will ever have seen me at a McDonald's drive-thru. Yeah. No, no, no joke. They give me a hard time about that. I'm, I'm a reformed. Uh, I, I, I got into a health kick. Yeah. 160 pounds. 160 pounds later, the last place you'll ever find me is in a McDonald's McDonald's drive-through. Yeah. See, that's what we were thinking because we all were talking about after we left PRI and talking to you, and it was like a gig like you have would make anybody easily 340 pounds easily. Yeah, it was. <laughs> You know, because it's so fast to have that Burger King or that Quick Donut or, or whatever. Holy God, man. I mean, what do you eat on the road? It just depends. I'm really big on trying to eat healthy, whether it's supplements, uh, meal replacement, stuff like that. And just make good choices. And it, common sense is what it comes down to. But the, the funny thing is you see folks that are involved in racing and they're like, man, I can't turn on a wind ladder. I had a miserable experience. It's like. Well, you put high-quality products into your car, right? Well, yeah, I'm like, and you're eating garbage? You're probably not going to have the best outcome at the end of the day. So um, a lot of tried and true, a lot of hard lessons that I've learned. Um, I've been really fortunate to, to have means to, to keep myself healthy, and that keeps you thinking clearly. And, you know, hanging out, having a couple of drinks at the end of an event or, you know, whatever the case may be, that's not something you're going to see me doing. Uh, chances are you're going to see me back at the hotel getting some rest, or you're going to see me in the fitness center doing something to, to, to maintain where I'm at. But it's to keep a clear mind, because if your mind's operating correctly, you make good calls, the good calls lead to success. And then that success, make good calls, the good calls lead to success. And then that success breeds more success to a positive environment you're around. And then you're just completely hate up with the stuff like I'm doing now. So, um, not, not that I'll ever turn down a meal or anything like that, but certainly, uh, and, and I don't ever want to feel like I'm speaking down to people that don't do that. Um, you've got to find what works for you, yeah. and that's what I tell folks. It doesn't matter in life. We're, we're, everyone's so focused on telling folks, you should do this, you shouldn't do that. You know what? You need to do what's best for you, and you need people to support you for that. And certainly do not judge anybody, and I mean anybody, for anywhere they're at in their life on the health side or what they do. Um, the world's got enough negativity in it, and I look at it as a challenge to spread as much positivity as we can. Um, there's a lot of good content to absorb with that. That's what I'll say on that end of things. Yeah. But, you know, just, just making good calls on the road. You know, maybe you won't stop at every truck stop to get a burger. Maybe you'll wait till you get somewhere. Maybe you'll make that choice of something that's a little bit healthier. But, you know, I can tell you what, what areas I do stop in and which ones I avoid. So it's, uh, it, it's definitely something I've had fun learning over the years. Okay, so go backward. If you see a Toyota at an NHRA parking lot, <laughs> that's where he's at. <laughs> that's where William may be at. Forget about what we said about McDonald's and Burger King. Cross that off your list. He's over there at the NHRA thing. Talking about it, off where, list. Where, go ahead. Where you're gonna, I was going to say where you're going to find it at, and I'll tell you the story. I was doing a uh, chassis inspection seminar over the weekend over in Ohio. Yeah. And no joke, you'll find me at the, I, I can tell you where every car wash near every track that I go to is at. <laughs> kid, kid, you not. They, there, there are certain car washes I'll go to, other ones I won't. But, uh, again, I'm very blessed to have the Toyota that I get to, to, to roll around town in and represent NHRA and Toyota, the Toyota brand with. And, man, the, the joke around the office is, man, they're going to send you a bill for having to repaint that thing when, <laughs> when they give you another one because the paint's more off. But, but again, it goes back to that... Um, opportunity to represent you get the impression to, to make on folks and and i think folks that actually know me i don't know how many folks on the on the the air right now would actually know me personally but i'm very meticulous on keeping things nice and clean so you'll find me at the nearest car wash is where you'll say instead of a drive-through or a mcdonald's or anything like that just he's probably the car wash late at night or early in the morning making sure it's clean so it's just it's kind of how i roll <laughs> talk about rolling we want to make sure that we have all the alert, the uh, CKWI Radio 76 affiliates down the line that we've ran just a little bit over with William Thorpe, but uh, we'll make up on it with the Detroit Sports Authorities coming up at 7 o'clock tonight. If you love Detroit sports like they do, you'll love the Detroit Sports Authorities. 7 o'clock here from Studio B. William, geez, what haven't we covered in the last minute that we have together? I don't know, but I'm just very fortunate that uh, we've been able to connect and create a friendship that I hope uh, is maintained for years to come. And if I get an opportunity to come back on and just kind of speak with you, you folks, and um, and if I get an opportunity to come back on and just kind of speak with you, you folks, and and just the the work you're doing to to maintain and grow things, um, I thank you and your staff and everyone involved with uh, with your program for for the hospitality and the opportunity. 
Uh, hopefully, we've made a made an impression on folks in a positive light. Man, we we've got a great future ahead of us. Um, you know, I can't say any more than that. Just other than just thank you. Well, you're quite welcome. Thank you so very much for being with us. I'm glad that we finally got a chance to to make this happen. If so, you do. We're going to give you a blanket invitation. You have any time you can come on, and this is going to be scary because I know we're coming into season right now. But how about the end of the season, somewhere in, uh, well, how about somewhere before PRI? We'll give you a call. Absolutely, absolutely. We'll kind of recap things, and then we'll talk about how successful the year was uh, for everyone at Milan as well as uh, the NHRA, and then talk about how a great 2023 will be in store. It's exactly what we were going to do because, really, we're going to go back and rewind parts of this uh, chat and say, oh, remember when we said, oh. <laughs> it's kind of like yep. when we go back and we go, oh, remember when we said the Red Wings are going to take the Stanley Cup? Yep. When we go back and we... <laughs> <laughs> who? <Yeah. laughs> oh, you're coming into the Detroit market now, aren't you? <laughs> I, I know nothing about sports, so if you say that it's a uh, um, what, what is it? They score touchdowns in hockey <laughs> and a hat trick over in baseball. <laughs> He'll fit right in, William. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's been, been real, John. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank friend. you, sir. We'll see you around. Bye, yep. sir. There you go, everybody. I mean, that is William Tharp, uh, Division Three Director of the NHRA. Um, as genuine as they come. You know what I mean? What you heard there is the same person that we heard at PRI that we've talked to before. He is, uh, he, he, <laughs> he is a dynamo. 